Well, welcome back to Open to Truth, a podcast all about exploring big ideas and discovering truth together. My name's Clint. Hey, I'm Tony. Welcome back. And uh, sorry we missed last week. Uh, I and my household have been plagued by COVID. It gotcha. We just didn't want to let that get in the way of us uh, continuing the work here at Open to Truth. So yes. apologize for the delay, but here we are back. And we're going to continue in the series that we started with the last episode, right? On Bible stuff. That's right. And just a few housekeeping notes at the front. Uh, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our blog. You can do that at opentotruth.com slash subscribe. It's the best way to keep up to date on new episodes that are coming out. And just to get a little three to five minute read uh, for the day on the topic for that week. Straight Literally. to your inbox when you subscribe. You'll get these little nuggets of philosophy right to your inbox. That's where they arrive. Yep. Well, uh, when you say subscribe to a blog, not I don't think all blogs end up in inboxes. This is like a newsletter slash blog. Yeah, yeah. And it's free. Yeah. Too. It's valuable. Um, and then also, I would love to hear from you guys of what topics you'd like us to take on next or even guests that you'd like to see on the show. So you can write in at mailbag at opentotruth.com. Uh, just got a few comments from you guys this week. Really encouraging to hear that you're finding this helpful on your mm -hmm. faith journey and and other sorts of things. So yeah, thanks for writing in and continue to do that. Um, awesome. All right, I've been well, building a, a mental list of guests that I need to run by you as well. Yeah, yeah. I listen to other podcasts and I listen to conversations that are fascinating. I'm like, man, I wonder if we could get that guy. That'd be yeah. awesome. So I'm finding that the answer is approaching. Yes, people are willing to, yeah. to do it. So yeah, it's good. The sky's the limit. Well, I want to start off with this example uh, to get us thinking about biblical interpretation. Uh, that is how we understand the meaning of sentences or passages in the Bible. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'll. Let's do a non-biblical example first, just to kind of wet our whistle here. And the phrase is, bills overwhelm Texans. Bills yeah. overwhelm Texans. So imagine you saw that at like the a top headline. of a newspaper. Yeah, a headline or an article. That's, you couldn't scroll down yet. You just saw the headline. Yeah. Um, and now you are in the situation of trying to interpret what that sentence or little phrase means. Right. Yep. And I think we can have some little graphics pop up here to, if you're watching on YouTube, to show you what that looks like. Um, so, I mean, do you have any suggestions off on what? The, off the bat, my head goes to struggling Texas citizens uh, upset at their electricity bills and their water bills because uh, it's been on lockdown. They haven't been able to work. They're out of jobs. And the bills are overwhelming them. Right. So that was like a that was a knee jerk reaction to reading that. Yeah, yeah. Partially based on what I think about is going on in Texas this year. Oh yeah, fair enough. And, and the kind of headline I might expect to find. Well, and that's so interesting. You say that that I mean you're bringing up, you're bringing in current events mm -hmm. to your interpretive apparatus and how you're. I just gave you this really abstract, random phrase, but Three you words. you bring to the table what's been going on in not only in your life, but in the world yeah. at large. So that's right. Well, when, and when I see those words, m my brain starts to piece together. What do I know about Texas? What do I know about what might be newsworthy there? What kinds of things have mm -hmm. I been seeing in the news? Yeah. And, all uh, and just the, you, uh, the meaning of the individual words. Yeah. Bills, 
overwhelm and Texans, you know. But it could, but see, it could mean like political bills that are being put forth. Mm -hmm. And there's just too many suggestions and it's overwhelming for the poor Texans. (laughs) And so now uh, we'll try to pop in below on the video here. Uh, Imagine you saw the newspaper section that you're in. You know, these things have different sections. Uh, Mm -hmm. The financial section. Oh, well, now my now I'm primed to think of your initial interpretation of like bills are coming in uh, to individual households. It's overwhelming Texans. Yeah. Or now you saw maybe you see at the top uh, politics. Oh, now wait a minute. Now I'm thinking it's like a bill is going to the state legislature, and there's too many of them coming in. It's overwhelming. Yeah. Too much regulation. Um, yeah. Or I think uh, now you and I are not as into the sports world, but if you saw, I think most people that would hear that would immediately think sports. These are really? both sports teams. So. At the top of a newspaper, if you saw sports, you would think, oh, the Buffalo Bills overwhelmed the Houston Texans in the NFL. Oh, wait. Texans is a team? That's a team. Yep. Oh, wow. Because normally it's like animals or something. But that one's just straight up Texans. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Wow. Okay. Yeah. So so it makes a huge difference for how we interpret. And you wouldn't have brought your... Uh, utility bill interpretation had you seen the sports thing you would have thought no. like oh, i guess there's teams named the bills yeah. and teams. uh so what what i think that shows is these are different genres within a newspaper different uh types of literature all compiled in this one volume called a newspaper mm-hmm. and we are culturally conditioned to bring a different interpretive lens to certain genres Yes, now, and to and to look for contextual clues when the the moment we undergo the interpretive project, you know, mm-hmm. I'm scanning for con- any context I can find to help place this sentence and make sense of it. Right, and yeah. when it was on its own without the genre, you brought a whole bunch of stuff in, including yeah. your own life and what yeah. happened a month ago. You know, right, right, now, right. Now here's the here's the issue and what how this relates to biblical interpretation. That I mean just the bills overwhelm Texans without the heading is kind of what's happening when you open up your Bible. When you open up the Bible at the top of the heading, at least not in a study Bible, if it's just a regular one that just has the passages, you're not seeing anything like poetry or oh no, uh, this one's uh, narrative. This one's wisdom literature. Like yep. you're not seeing any of that. And so it's just, I think this example helps to show that look at how our interpretations differed when we found out what genre it was. I wonder if the same thing would happen in our project of interpreting the Bible. If we were equipped with knowledge of biblical genre, how it would change how we interpret the meaning of the words. Yes. Right. And I don't know if you want to get, I I, I do think this has implications for, especially if you hold to a, uh, a un would it be univocal like a that this Bible speaks with one voice? Mm-hmm. Um, if that's your understanding of Scripture, it it does become tricky to read things like poetry and narrative and story um, as though these all have one voice. I, I don't know that this was. Oh, that's really interesting, dude. Because I when I've I haven't really put that together before. So when I've, when you and I at least have talked about univocality, yeah, 
annoying long word, but I thought that to mean the the messaging or like that that one guy might be saying A and another guy might say B or not A. Yeah. But I hear you saying that that this is related to genre as well that we shouldn't even necessarily expect um a song like you find in the Psalms to connect at all with a historical right. narrative. It's like it's weird to call that one voice. They're doing different yes. things. That's right. And and it becomes strange once you start to think about genre. Um like what does it mean for a poem to be authoritative? If we want to say that the Bible is authoritative, which that is said by plenty of people. Yeah. I want to get to that more okay. in depth next time. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I won't jump the gun then. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, any other connecting thought, though? Well, just that... To the univocality part? Um, no, no, I want to hear where you go with the genre and, and how we should approach it, I guess. So, an I think another facet of this that's important is... You know, here, let me, let me grab mine here. So, oh, here, here is uh, one of my several Bibles in my little library here you can see behind me. Here it is, a yep. leather-bound, crisp uh, ESV version. It's even got my name on it there at the bottom. Wow, look at that, engraved in gold. <laughs> engraved in gold. That's probably a little bit sacrilegious, but in any case, there it is. <laughs> one, so I think this is related to what you were saying. One, one point to bring up here that I think is, the da damaging might be a little bit too strong, but a unintended consequence of including all of the biblical books into one volume can make it seem like there aren't different genres. Uh -huh. so, so if you went to the Mod uh, the Medina Library uh, or your your local library and you found you went to try to find a Bible, it'd probably be in like a religious section and there'd be a whole host of different versions, right? But yeah. imagine that it wasn't the convention or the cultural norm to put them all into one volume and rather each individual book was its own separate volume in its own section then then you would have to go walk throughout the whole library yes. to find each book of the 66 that are in the christian evangelical canon yeah um you would i mean they might still put it in the religious section but the point is that there's poetry there's wisdom literature there's history there's law um, and they're so different and they need they need to be read differently. And maybe that's where it goes to the univocality. I just there's a particular view or approach to the Bible that I held for a long time that didn't cause me to read poetry as poetry. Really, it was all this is the word of God, like from his mouth. Mm -hmm. And it was all sort of held with the same weight. Yeah, um, there wasn't I didn't feel like I truly had the freedom to to ask, is this metaphor and is this meant to be read as metaphor? But it would be a mistake to read a poetry, a poem, the same way that you read uh, a letter to another person. You know, they're just very different things. And I think there's some things that can only be captured through a poetry. Like we need these different genres. If the Bible is a collection of people's experiences and encounters with God, um, then it makes sense that we would have all sorts of different genres of people's encounters and experiences and understandings of God. And we, we need all of those as well. So. Yeah, absolutely, man. Like you could, you could turn to a theological treatise embedded into one of Paul's letters. Yeah. 
and have and and maybe be able to derive some timeless theological principles like uh, God will always be with you or wants what's best for you or something like that. Maybe you could pull that out of there. Or I could read Psalm 23 and he leadeth me beside still waters. Like yeah. that is metaphorical and that whole Psalm is beautiful and comforting, but they're doing kind of different things, even though there's maybe like a bedrock truth of the world. That's an undercurrent of each yeah. um, and informs them. They're, they're doing different things. They're different genres uh, of literature. Yep. Um, so I just want to go through a couple examples from some of the big uh, differences in genre, just so we can see what this looks like in practice. Like, why does sure. it matter to be talking about genre? So the first one, and probably my favorite, is wisdom literature. Um, you can find that in the Psalms, in Ecclesiastes, uh, in Proverbs. So let's just take a look at this. Proverbs 26. Uh, I know some of you might be driving or working out, so you can't really turn to it. But I would really encourage you to go read all Proverbs 26. It's it's a hoot. Uh, <laughs> it's got good, a lot huh? of classic lines. It's funny. It's it's weird, but it's super wise and helpful. So I would just I would recommend meditating on it. It has the the famous uh, "As a dog returns to its vomit." Oh yeah. No fools repeat their folly. Yep. Like, oh, wow. But check this out. So. Proverbs 26, 4 through 5. It's emblematic of wisdom literature. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Mm. Next verse. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. So so what's happening? So those are two verses back to back. That's back to back. Don't and argue with idiots because it will make you a fool. And the next one is, you should correct them lest the fool be puffed up. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So it's so important to know that when you when we read that, like I prefaced it by saying this is wisdom literature and maybe our audience doesn't know a ton about that. And I, I don't know all the answers and you could spend your whole life studying biblical genre and people have. And you can go read what they wrote. But that's one of the features of this literature is that it's not meant to be giving exact specific guidance uh that's timeless that will always apply to every situation like a list of ethical rules or something or promises or laws of the universe yeah no nope. no nope. this is um it is meant to help you in your journey of virtue or practical wisdom living out a virtuous life and it's noting that here are the implications of either direction. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. And that is, that's just a part of what life is like. Yeah. So here is the biblical author under the inspiration of God, perhaps. And we can talk more about what that looks like in next week's episode. But, um, you know, giving you a window into what the human experience is like. Hey, look, there are times when you shouldn't, talk to this fool because he'll drag you down and you'll become a fool too. Yep. Uh, or sometimes you should answer the fool because he's running amok and he thinks he's wise in his own eyes and yep. needs to be humbled in a way. Like both of those are true at the same time. But yep. when you approach the wisdom literature as, um, what's an example? I don't know, like the 10 commandments or something. Mm -hmm. 
that you know you get a uh, you would be more prone to maybe a, a skeptic or a critic of scripture would say look the bible's contradictory uh well no that's no. not what this genre is trying to do it's somebody commenting on the complexity of life and sure. offering you the wisdom of their experience over the years here's what i've seen i've seen that answering a fool can cause you to become one and i've seen sometimes you need to correct a fool be wise <laughs> yeah i also really like this example uh to show people when we're talking about whether or not to just read one verse of scripture oh my gosh yeah or even like sometimes you see like uh chapter 26 verse 4a so they just yeah. want the just the first half please <laughs> it's like oh man and i get it like oh. i've done that before too and it's just to like try to reference something shorthand you don't want to write it out or say it all out every time sure but when you're when you're reading it for studious full understanding purposes uh yeah like you would you would want to read not only uh you know so, sometimes in seminary we did this um oscillating model start read proverbs bam the whole book then whatever you're studying read that chapter then read that like paragraph then the, the sentence and then go back out and then right. and just to kind of like so you narrow it down and then back out again yeah in the literary context well just i mean again when these things were written they did not have verse numbers a and b and yeah. like so to split them up that way is to read it in a way it was never meant to be read you know it's mm -hmm. like taking a one sentence out of a, a whole essay yeah so i'm gonna do that real quick despite having just warned against it but just in your own study um and when you're really trying to understand the passage one verse is not awesome but since we're crunched for time in this scenario let's move on to another genre of law okay. so uh one example of uh, a law genre book is in leviticus and here's here's leviticus 18 19. do not approach a woman to have sexual relations during the uncleanness of her monthly period mm -hmm. okay so when i again like you're saying if i approach the scripture as this flat univocal genre list document then i'm gonna put that right alongside a a, a saying from jesus about loving yeah. your neighbor like yeah is that what we should be doing or are these different genres and they're they're trying to do different things so from my understanding the genre of law is like covenantal in nature between two parties at the time this was written you know back in yeah whatever 700 to 500 bc you had people who thought that the gods made uh treaties of sorts with their people and so if you do these things then you'll be blessed or if you and if you don't do these things then you'll be cursed and here's this whole list of things and purity laws um it's not necessarily meant to be this statement of here's how you should behave for all of time even mm -hmm. Or I, I also don't know if it's like in today's legal system, I feel like there's this attempt to be uh, let's constantly try to amend and ratify and make our laws better to approach this ideal. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I just don't know if that's always what's happening in ancient 
la genre. It's just the biblical author uh, attributed to the God character. Uh, here's what I ask of you. And here's what you will happen in return if you obey or disobey. They're just yeah. kind of doing different things. Yeah. So, yeah. I, so I don't think this is saying, and not to be too like crass or whatever, but you you should never have any sexual relations with your wife while she's on her period or something. You know. Yeah. Right. But that's like a sin now for me to do that. Right. 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 Um, yeah. yeah. So just to be careful, like approaching when I'm. When I go into it, this is the genre of law. It's not necessarily that ultimate reality or the God of the cosmos is instituting a law for the rest of time. Right? Uh, all right. The third genre that I want to look at is the letter or the epistle. Uh, and this makes up a large part of the New Testament written by a guy named Paul who helped largely start the early church and plant all these churches. And think think of a letter that you've written, Tony. Like, yeah, I used to have a pen pal. What kind of describe that? Like, what what is that genre? What were you doing when you wrote a letter? Oh man, well, the well, letters I none of the de romantic details. Or no, anything. no, no, no. But the letters I wrote were extremely personal. So different, at least in that they weren't intended to be read out in front of a congregation. Mm -hmm. It was a it was a very private conversation I was having with one person you know, at a time. Um, right. Totally. So yeah, sometimes scholars call this, uh, it's occasional, mm, uh, not yeah. in the sense of like every once in a while. You know? Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully you and I are still writing letters to our spouse. Yeah. Love occasionally. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but it means like, uh, it's for a specific occasion to address an individual audience or a group of people, perhaps, mm -hmm. uh, facing a unique problem. So oh. yeah, absolutely, man. To your point, I I don't have any sense, and I don't think scholars do either, that Paul, when he wrote these, knew that it would be online one day at the click of a button for seven billion people to read two thousand years later. Like, I mean, he couldn't have known that. Right? Let alone yeah. the city fifty miles down the road. Yeah, yeah. I he mean, was writing to one congregation. He, he wrote to a congregation, and sometimes even a person, like. What blows my mind, if you haven't read this, even if you're a, I know we have some agnostics and atheists who listen to this, and that's great, and, but I would really encourage you to read the book, quote unquote, of Philemon. It's mm. half a page. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like 25 verses. And it's unbelievable that this thing, I mean, I, it's amazing and I endorse it, but it's unbelievable that this thing made it into scripture into the canon. Yeah. Like this is Paul wrote a letter to a guy named Philemon, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it would be like, it'd be like the, some of these would be like the state of the church address thing that our church does you know, yeah, yeah. once a year. Like we're going to talk to our congregation about what's going on in our church, where we're headed, what challenges we're facing. So to have that recorded and then like distributed 2000 years later, why? Oh, and not even, but this one, what is wild about Philemon is it's even less grand than that. Like I have this mm. friend named Mike who lives in Washington, D.C. It's yeah. as though, like if I wrote him a letter about an important topic and then that private letter became scripture, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like I totally get it when it was like the book of Exodus and it's like telling Israel's history with a theological agenda to declare like, 
God is our deliverer and all that. Like yeah. for the, so the generations down will remember our story, you know, like, yep. so that is also along with Philemon, dude. Yeah. And Philemon, this book is all about, uh, there's this guy Onesimus and scholars don't know, like, was he a runaway slave? Or maybe he was Philemon's brother. But in any way, anyway, Philemon and Onesimus were estranged. And Onesimus went to visit Paul while he was in prison, became a Jesus follower under Paul's influence. And now Paul's asking them to get reconciled. Wow. And he mentions like eight other names of people in the in the brief letter. Like, this guy says hi. This lady says hi. Also very personal. Yeah, yeah. That's what's tough about the, and again, I know you don't want to go here in this episode, but like a, a dictation theory of inspiration that like mm -hmm. that God would be whispering in the writer's ear, hey, tell them that, um, you know, so-and-so <laughs> says hi. Right. Yeah. That absolutely. he sends his greetings. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's enough for me to, that brings that theory down a lot of pegs. Yeah. yeah like, yeah. Um, yeah, Aphia and Archippus. And Aristarchus, Demas, there, there's just a bunch of guys that he'd like just to know. A, a These crew, people yeah. send greetings to you. Like, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think they really did. Yeah, I do too. I think that's probably the best explanation. Some people, Paul was writing a letter. This, some this people guy, sent greetings. Wanted, hey, can you, you writing to Philemon? Oh, tell him I said hi. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, but just to contrast that with like a psalm, with like poems or hymns that were meant to be sung and celebrated with the entire community, and these yeah. are what they're singing around the fire and stuff. Like, it's just a yeah, total well, and yeah. and maybe meditated on in a way that you know the way you devour poetry is different than the way you read a personal letter. It just is, you know. You mm -hmm. can go over poetry again and again, and it calls different images to mind and is sort of a call to the transcendent in some way versus a letter from your mate who you know with very practical instructions of hey go repair this relationship right, they, just, right. they need to be read differently so like can i can i pull out some timeless theme themes about reconciliation from the book of philemon mm. um i don't know man i maybe i think it's more like it can be used as a ca like casuistry that it, like case law or something mm -hmm. like to the best of my ability, and it's tough because, I mean, I just did a little bit of research for this, and scholars are so up in the air about who is Onesimus a slave or not. It's like, yeah, oh my gosh. So to the best of my ability, I need to put myself in the occasion of the letter. And it's hard to do because even scholars like disagree about the ins and outs of this and like was Onesimus a slave or not, and that really mm -hmm. changes the texture of, of how we read this thing. Uh, so, but if I can, like, really try to understand what, how old was Paul? Where was he when he wrote it? What was going on in his life? And, and then approach the letter and try to understand the meaning of it. And we can go from there. Next week, we'll talk all about how to use the Bible. But at least just right now, like, just giving you an overview of some genres. And then the fourth one I want to talk about um, that probably most biblical readers are familiar with and that's the gospel right matthew sure. mark luke and john and that's its own genre huh it is um there there are sub genres within it typically and honestly like the whole research field of literary genre and how they what's going on in the bible is 
you know, brimming with new books and articles every day. Yeah. And there's disagreement on how to characterize the gospel because it's a really it's a really unique piece of writing. Well, it's, yeah, go ahead. Well, just there has to almost be maybe maybe I guess the different genres are a spectrum or a gradient of some kind because there's certainly similarities within the gospels. Part of the they are part biographical. Here's this guy Jesus mm -hmm. writing about his life, things he did and said. But then you've got different different gospels with clearly different agendas or emphases or different like points that they're trying to get across. John really wants to convince you that uh, Jesus is united to God in some way. Like that's that's littered through his gospel. Matthew's big on punishment and sort of ends all of his stories with a bit of hell. Um, <laughs> so there's all these different sort of slants that the gospels take. They're similar. They're all talking about Jesus and they're all talking about his life. Yeah, Luke sets out to convince somebody else that Jesus was the Messiah. So, well, and so you brought up a really good point there, and that, that's the motivational structure of a typical author of that genre at that time. So, hmm. when you say a biography, well, the reason scholars resist that about the gospel is because, to your point, the biblical author of the gospel has a theological agenda. Mm -hmm. um, whereas you, you'd be a little bit upset if a modern biographer was coming to the table and being too pushy about how to think about, let's say, John Adams, mm -hmm. the, one of our presidents, you know, like, yeah, I want the hey, facts. Can you tell me just like what, like be as accurate as possible about this guy's life, like where he went to school and what his family's names were, all this stuff, you know? Yeah. I don't want you to give an agenda at all, really. Yeah. I mean. Yep. But but the gospel author and that, that wasn't a bad thing that the gospel authors were doing that. That was the norm of the genre. Like, hey, if you're gonna do a biography of someone, like let's let's put in some theological or political oomph to it. Like mm -hmm. what's what's the big overall message you want to convey? And I don't think it's every detail a, a an exhaustive, robust detailing of Jesus' day to day life. Right. Or even necessarily the grand scheme of it. It's like we get so little of the nuances of his life, you know. Oh man, yeah, the thirty-three years he lived, and we have just this small slice. So the the best that I've seen someone describe it is theological biography as a description okay. of the genre. Um, so if that's helpful at all, uh, I think what that does though is again it can help you respond to the critic who says. Look, the Bible's full of contradictions. Uh, this gospel says there was two guys talking to Jesus in this story, but this other gospel says there was one. And sometimes conservatives have offered the response like, well, Mark or whichever one only mentioned the one just decided not to mention the second one. He knew he was there. He just didn't include it in the story. That's it's like, not wrong. We don't or I've, heard, I've heard people come to the defense of like, no, it happened. That uh, this just happened several times, and one time right. there was two, one time there was one. He fed five thousand, and then he fed four thousand. Yeah, and I just I feel not as committed to that view. Once I just embrace biblical genre for what it is, here are these different perspectives, and they have different theological agendas that they're trying. And I, agendas kind of gotten a bad rap. That word, yeah, a bad way. A, Slant um, or a point of view in particular, maybe. Yeah. You know? 
a position paper of, of sure. sort. Persuasive, yeah. I'd like to convince you of this mm-hmm. while doing a biography. It's, it's weird, you know? Yeah. But I don't think that we should fault them for like discrepancies in the details of these stories. It's just not what they're meant to be doing. Uh, one last little thought before we sign off for this one. The sub parable of within the gospel call or sub genre within the gospel called a parable. Yeah. He just told parables and they're one of the trickiest things to pin down, you know? Oh yeah. Like what's going on with these. Sometimes they're called narrative fictions. So it's a story. It's fictional. Um, it's meant to communicate meaning or messages through characters or figures. Um, the interpretations can vary in latitude, you know, Yeah. a little bit veiled what like, the exact meaning is supposed to be. Like a fable, like a, like Aesop's fables. Here's a story yeah. that should cause you to think about a moral situation. Look at your own heart. How would you act in this story? It's supposed to reveal something about you, but mm-hmm. it's not always, I mean, pretty rarely actually does Jesus lay out. Here's what this parable meant a couple times. Cause his disciples aren't getting it. He's like, okay, let me break down the symbolism for you. Mm-hmm. But, Plenty of times he doesn't, and he leaves it up to the audience to work out what he meant. Yeah. And again, like cultural context always is going to be paramount here. Like understanding the Good Samaritan story. Oh, yeah. We read it, we think, oh, the Pharisees are bad guys and the Samaritan's the good guy. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. We think that now, but the person who would have heard that was coming to the table equipped with the lived experience of, no, the Pharisees were these really popular, awesome religious people. Yeah. And the Samaritans were like, oh, we hate those half breeds. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So you need to, you, and scholars have done a lot of the heavy lifting to uh, figure that stuff out so we can come to the table with that, uh, that knowledge. But then also, when we, there's a few parables that people have ran with to build out whole theologies of oh. uh, all sorts of stuff. So, you have my, examples? Yeah, one of my favorite ones is the rich man and Lazarus. Oh, yeah. So in this story in Luke 16, 19 through 31, there's this rich guy um, who was like feasting all the time. And Lazarus is outside the gates of the rich man's house begging for food. And uh, the rich man won't give him any. Well, they both die on the same day. And the rich man is in like a hell purgatory burning area. Yeah, <laughs> and Lazarus is up next to Abraham uh, in like this heavenly blissful sort of place and yeah the rich man is like Abraham just send Lazarus down to cool my tongue with a little bit of water just a drip of water yeah that's a dry tongue if you're looking for a drip so even in the afterlife the rich man's trying to boss Lazarus Lazarus <laughs> yeah but what we've done like that to me is a parable about how about essentially wealth management. It's common yeah. about how to steward your resources. This is not, we have to be super careful in the parable genre to pull out little lines or even uh, grab features of the story and build our metaphysics on it. Yeah. Right. Like, okay. Well now we know in the afterlife, there's this place called Abraham's bosom. And, and there's a big divide, and it's going to be hot. Jesus comes back, you go there, and you can see the people down in hell burning, and all it's like, whoa, 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 dude. Yeah, that you're taking it, 
way further than it was ever supposed to go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You call foul. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, uh, as your dogs are indicating behind you, I think we're about done for this one. Yes, Again, they have descended. Um, well, thanks for tuning in. I uh, appreciate you be having patience with us, kind of this Zoom call format. But hey, at least this time you can see us, our faces the entire episode instead of cutting right. back and forth. Um, we have some good guests coming up. I don't want to uh, leak any of that. but oh, I'm so jazzed. We got yeah, some really good guests coming. We got some good guests coming on the horizon. And uh, yeah, join us for the next episode on how to use this Bible. We've talked about translation and genre and some interpretive principles, but how do we go, what do we do with it now? Yeah. What do you do with scripture? And how do we avoid making the, some of the mistakes we just laid out today? Yeah. yeah. So, um, as always, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. If you have questions, if you have things to add to this conversation, it's an open conversation. You can join, you can write to the show, leave a comment on this video, open a truth uh, at Gmail. Is it open a truth podcast at gmail.com? Yep. Mailbag. Mailbag at open you both. Yeah. Mailbag yeah. at open yeah. yeah, there you go. We'd love to interact with your thoughts. And um yeah, so thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. Stay curious. See ya.